You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Fair Game podcast. I'm your host, Robert Smith. Today's guest is the director of the Texas Association of Fairs and Events. He joins us today from Houston, Texas, Chris Shivers. Welcome to the show, man. Well, thanks, Robert. It's certainly an honor to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. I'm glad we can have this conversation. I, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. I want to jump right into it. For the folks listening, tell us how you came to be with the TAFNE. Well, back in uh, late 2017, uh, there was a turnover or they were looking for the executive director of Tech Association Affairs and Events. And uh, I guess basically looking for a management team. So myself and Ranch House Designs, which is headed up by Rachel Cotrere and Monica Mears, uh, we assembled a presentation and went and met with their board and they offered us the position. And here we are some four years later uh, running TAF&E. And as you know, our primary responsibility other than you know, managing the membership affairs is to host our convention each year, which we've been very fortunate for you and many of the other uh, listeners to this podcast have been a part of, and we greatly appreciate that. And uh, we, you know, for us, it's been a pretty steep learning curve. We both come from the livestock industry, so we understood fairs from maybe a little different perspective than maybe some of you guys, but we've uh, since learned about, you know, amusements and carnivals and grounds acts and uh, insurance and, and all a whole lot of things that have become pretty applicable to this whole industry. And uh, who would have ever thought we'd be in a major pandemic where basically our industry has been shut down. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been challenging, but uh, all I have to say, uh, it's a great industry and we're great to be uh, or very proud to be a part of it. Well, you mentioned the the convention itself that, that you guys put on for Texas. It runs in January. And I'm, I started getting back into that event last year down there in Galveston. And, you know, every time I go to a convention in this industry, regardless of whether it's Texas or Florida or Arizona affairs, IEF and E, all of them, um, it feels like it's more like less like business and more like a family reunion. Do you, do you feel that way about our membership? Oh, you know, Robert, I do. And, and, you know, we, we get that a lot, you know, that people look forward to coming, whether it be IFE or Florida or, you know, in, in terms of our convention there in Texas, is that they look forward to coming. They feel like it's a homecoming, you know, um, that they get to come. And obviously you and a, a lot of other acts have been very fortunate to work in the state of Texas. So uh, you get to come and outside of those events when you're really busy, it's an opportunity for you to come and see a lot of your friends and, and extended family. Uh, so we do get that. And, and I'll just tell you from, uh, a management perspective of the one who puts the convention on, we look forward to seeing a lot of you guys too. You know, it's the only time maybe outside of IAFE where we see you each year, you know, you uh, much after, soon after our convention, you hit the road working and you don't slow down till November, December, where you're able to go home and rest up for a little while. Then you come see us and you hit the road again. So uh, yeah, what we do from our membership standpoint, uh, get that a lot that, Hey, we really enjoy coming and, uh, seeing all of our friends, but I'll tell you from our perspective too, uh, we really enjoy getting up with you guys and gathering up and seeing how your family's uh, doing and kind of, you know, how you're doing on a personal level, but more, more importantly, how you're doing on a business level and how we might be able to assist you. Yeah. And, you know, I think back to that convention, January of 2020, it was the first 2020 event that we did. It was, you know, what, a week into the end of the year, two weeks into the year, but little did we know at that point, we were just about 70 days away from our lives and our industry being completely flipped upside down, we get into the beginning in, in early March, two major events in Texas, 
South by Southwest in Austin and the Houston Livestock Show canceled just about within a week of each other. When those two events went down, did you realize how far reaching this pandemic would be? Or were you like so many that I've spoken to on this podcast that thought, you know, okay, two, three months, it's going to be shut down and then we'll be back at it. Robert, I don't think you could think anything otherwise. You know, I mean, we're rocking along January, February, you hear of a coronavirus and, and it's somewhere far away. And well, that's somebody else's problem. Uh, just like so many other, you know, viruses and issues have been in the past. Um, and obviously living in Houston and being in Texas, when that thing hit Houston and they come on the, the news that says Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo shut down, it's like, man, this is real. This is a real deal. And then, you know, we had uh, Rio Grande Valley Livestock Shows going on at the same time within a week. You know, they shut down. Uh, then you had Rodeo Austin that was coming about and they never opened their doors. Uh, and then you realize, man, this is a, this is a serious deal. Uh, which, you know, you know, kind of scheduling wise, once we kind of get in through April, a lot of the events tend to slow down. So we think, okay, if we get to April, May, we're going to be okay. We'll make it through the summer months and we're going to crank back up in August, September. And here we go. The problem was it's kind of twofold. One, you have to plan so far out with these events, you know, in terms of promotion and when they really start sinking dollars into the, into their event. And there came a, you know, kind of a June, July, maybe first of August deadline and then the fall events started canceling. And when that happened, we knew this isn't going to be good because they were always all the way through November. Uh, so, you know, at that point, you think, man, this is pretty far reaching. And the unfortunate situation, as you're well aware, here we are in January. It's not looking good through March and April right now. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, spring activities now are beginning to be affected. Now, you know, certainly we're hoping with the, the vaccine and, and all the things that are taking place and once we get into the summer months and we're certainly anticipating a positive uh, fall schedule but uh, yep. i guess at this point it's one of those things you really don't know but but yeah it is, it is for sure and you know texas has a number of fairs like you just alluded to through the winter and spring you know you've got san antonio you got houston and and san angelo and all these shows that run kind of january through the middle end of march first week of april do you know where they stand for their 21 shows? Are they opening? Are they modified? Are they closing? No, I think that most of these are going to be modified. And we saw a lot of that in the fall of the year. Uh, San Antonio, obviously, they're going to have their uh, junior livestock show. They're going to have the rodeo. I just saw an announcement today. There will be no carnival. So, you know, they're going to a modified schedule. Um, as far as I know, San Angelo is still going forward. Uh, Houston, as many are aware, they're going to do their uh, livestock show activities in March, but they're planning on a May date to uh, do the carnival and rodeo and cook-off and, and the other activities that, that people have uh, become to enjoy there. Um, those are the, the, well, the Rio Grande Valley Livestock Show, again, they're not going to have uh, the carnival and some of their open competitive events, but they will continue to have their junior shows. And, you know, I really guess there's been probably more of an emphasis on that over the past year, as much as anything, as these kids who have these projects and they already bought them and their own feed. And, you know, there's a, a, a you know, an end date and expiration on these things. And fortunately, many of these from county fairs to state fairs to regional events, they've taken care of those kids. And we applaud yep. them for that because that's very important. But I have to tell you, for guys like you who hit the road and you're looking for large crowds, this hasn't been a real good run. No, it's not. It hasn't been. Uh, you know, most of us have been, um, you know, sitting here. I Luckily for me, I took the opportunity last July when I realized this was going to go long term and went ahead and got my ankle repaired that had been, you know, bugging me for the better part of a decade. And so, you know, that's the silver lining there. But 
otherwise there are no events. You know, I know a number of guys who've started other, some trucking companies or, you know, gone and gotten regular nine to five jobs and they're doing what they got to do. I, I admire that. I respect the hustle that they're, they're taking care of what they got to take care of. I feel like though, for our entertainment wise, those of us who have shows or attractions that we can just put in storage are probably in a lot better shape than the animal acts are. You know, I think about Jimmy Earhart with sea lion splash who we had on the show. He's just relocated. He's building a, a compound there in, um, in Texas, just outside of San Antonio, kind of over closer towards Kerrville. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, he got those sea lions, they're hungry. They need, they got veterinary care. They need, they, you know, there's their overhead does not change. You know what I mean? For those of us who have our acts paid off and we can just put them in storage, it's not as big a deal. So I do worry about some of those larger animal acts and, and whether they make it through, um, you know, speaking of, I'm curious with T and F and E, what are you guys seeing membership wise with, with service members? Are you seeing members renew? Or are they kind of like entertainment members renew or are they holding off right now? No, you know, we've been very fortunate and it goes back to kind of the, the family atmosphere, which, you know, our dues aren't all that significant, $100 a year. Everybody signed back up. Um, now, what we did see was a significant decrease in uh, expected attendance back at our convention in January, which ultimately was canceled. You know, our trade show went from 120 booths down to around 40 and uh, overall attendance was going to be from 700 down to 250, 300 people. So, right. um, you know, we get that, you know, over the past year, essentially, that a lot of our membership has not been able to, to go to work, whether, you know, carnival providers or, or different acts or whatever there might be. So we were seeing a, you know, a pretty significant impact in terms of what we uh, would have expected there at the convention. But in terms of membership, they're continuing to pay the hundred dollars. They still want to be involved in TAF and E. They still see the value of it. And they're, you know, quite honestly looking for better days. Uh, they know that, you know, at some point this will pass and there will be brighter days out there and they still want to be involved in TAF and E and become um, involved in the convention and continue to do the things that they once did. It's just, you know, unfortunately right now, they're not in a situation where they can do sponsorships and participate in some of these different conventions that, that are, you know, requiring significant, uh, investment to, to go out and, and open up and do a trade show or, or do sponsorships. Right. Well, and I think just like with any of us who have service members, we do have budget for sponsorship for supporting events like Texas or Florida fairs or IEFE, but with not being in a position to be able to get a return on that, just like fairs that had a marketing budget, you know, to buy television ads that those dollars may have gone towards keeping people on payroll you know, our, our sponsorship on, in advertising and marketing budgets went towards making sure that, you know, we had our, our rent paid or our, our vehicle payments paid. And, you know, we just had to re we got to divert those budgets right now. I, I think it'll come back. It's, it might be before we really see where, you know, pre pandemic levels, it might be 18 to 36 months. But in the meantime, I think even if San Antonio goes off without a carnival and then, you know, therefore probably doesn't have the entertainment and the grounds acts and the magicians and jugglers and all that. I just think the, the events that for the health of the events, they need to get something going. What, you know, they need to have right. some kind of event and then moreover, they need to be able to get non-fair time rentals going. They need to be able to get the, the boat show and the RV show and the gun show and, proms and all that kind of stuff going again i'm curious though how many fair wise how many members are there to taf &E? so currently we're around i don't know 90 to 100 different fairs and events that are members 
And then uh, we're roughly 200 uh, associate members, uh, which would be, you know, our service members, as you referred to earlier. So, you know, since we're somewhere, you know, in the neighborhood of 350 to 400 uh, members. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's a nice membership. It's a, a, a diverse membership. Uh, which is very good for us in terms of trying to service our members and being able to utilize different members from different roles is that there's a lot of diversity that we can touch a lot of different areas. Out of those, you know, 90 some odd members, do you have a, a grasp on how many canceled last year? You know, I, I really don't yet. And we just sent due statements out, I think, in November. So they're just becoming due, and a lot of people are paying for the first of the year. But I, I would fully anticipate that most everybody's going to renew their membership. I, I don't see that being an issue at all. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I just think come convention time, depending on how much you know work people are doing, will depend on what the attendance and how many people participate in the sure. church. Sure. What about their events, though? How many of the of the fairs of your ninety some odd fairs actually had to cancel their events? Oh, uh, well. All straight out canceling, I don't know that there were that many. Modifications, there were a significant modified schedules. And again, you know, a lot of a lot of our events are, are county fairs. Uh, that, and you've played a lot of those to where they said, okay, no carnival, no adult competitive events, but we're still going to take care of the, the kids. You know, no concerts, no all this. So right. uh, did they have an event? Yeah, they had an event. Was it the same event the community was used to no. I mean, you know, there was no interaction. It was basically one kid and two parents who come in, they show their animal and they get it sold and they go. Uh, but on the flip side of that, we have had some events, the North Texas Fair, uh, uh, the show in Abilene, you know, there's been several of our events that said, man, we're full speed. We're going to do this deal. And fortunately for them, they got it all. It was successful. People are, as you know, people are looking to go do something. So any event that can take place, I think it's going to be well attended and it's going to be a successful event. Um, there's just so many factors that go into this from county government to, you know, the potential risk of uh, the financial, the financial risk, you know, can we put monies out on something that may or may not happen uh, at the same time? Can we open our gates and, you know, only have a third or a quarter of the attendance that we would ordinarily have, you know? So like you mentioned earlier, there's an overhead there for these different events, whether it be from facilities, whether it be from uh, staff and personnel or sponsorship dollars or lack thereof. Um, but you know, the events that have been held, they, they were successful. And I think from an industry standpoint, that's a bright spot that says you can have an event. These things can happen. People will come. Uh, you know, there's still a bright spot out there for, for our fair members. Yeah, I really I think there is a bright spot and there needs to be. Our, these fairs mean a lot to our communities. Take a second, if you will, um, you know, when when we have cancellations like this for fairs, it has a big impact on the communities. Take a second and kind of um, tell us how that's impacted communities around Texas when a fair has to cancel. Well, Robert, as you're aware, I mean, you know, we start at the ground level. I mean, you know, we're talking about the fairs and some of these fairs actually go in, they rent the facilities from the county. So, you know, anything that they're renting from the county, well, obviously that's going to be funds that are going to be injected into that community. But it's even bigger than that. It's hotels, it's fuel while people are there, it's food while people are there. Uh, you know, it's all the things that 
that fairs and events and festivals or whatever it might be bring to a community, uh, you know, people shop while they're there. You know, they they stay in town for several days and, and take in the event. So it's significant economic impact to the local community. The other thing that I think people lose sight of is the temporary help. You know, if you move into to a local community, they typically hire people to come in and clean up the facility and take the trash out and maybe take tickets or, or whatever there might be for kind of, you know, short-term labor. So that again is a major economic impact to the local community. Uh, and then, you know, you mentioned earlier, people go out and they're starting trucking companies, but you have to remember the sound and light guys, you have to remember, you know, all these different things, uh, concessionaires and people who come in and they leave there and they go somewhere else. You know, I mean, we think, oh, well, they canceled the fair, big deal. But you don't understand the number of lives that that thing touches, not only from a local area, but but even, you know, across state and, and country lines of the people who are affected by things that, that you just don't think about. You know, just for a standard concert, you, you know, you have somebody who comes in and builds the, the stage and they have the sound and light. Then you have the technicians and then you bring in the musician groups and you know, just based on one concert, I mean, you could be touching 50 or 60 people. Yeah, you really can. And and in a lot of cases, those are not jobs that is just super simple for, you know, what's a concessionaire? Are they just going to, you know, go get some other job? That's what they do. I mean, that's their living. Right. That's, that's what they're, pro, you know, programmed and trained to do. And um, so, yeah, some people can go get other jobs, but what jobs do they get? Then that becomes the question everything around here depends i suppose on the state it's not like you can go get another job like you can go work at walmart you can go you know sack people's groceries and that's fine i'm not i'm not above that nobody needs to be should be above that but when you look at it be, what i'm saying is because our governments have so much shut down it's not like there's just a plethora of jobs out there that that are alternatives that you can go get almost everything out there um is is being heavily competed for and it's just a very difficult time and um i i still i want to believe better days are ahead but let's talk about tf and e for 2021 you know obviously as much as you guys wanted to host the convention eventually it gets to a point where you're looking at the numbers and the registrations and whatnot and it's just not practical and you and the board make a decision to cancel the convention for 21 What's the feeling among you and the board when that decision gets made? Man, I tell you what, you know, out of all the things we've done, that was probably the, the hardest decision. You know, we had that first meeting in April right after Houston closed down. We said, what are we going to do? Oh, no, we're going forward, you know. And, again, it was one of those things that, yeah, we're three or four months into this maybe, and then it's all going to go away. We're going to be fine. We meet again in June. What are we thinking? No, no, we, we still think that everything's going to be good. And I'll tell you, the decision-making process at that point was kind of twofold. One is we felt like we needed to have something for our members. You know, everything's shutting down. And it goes back to what you said, more like a family reunion is we need to have something where people can come and they can go to, not only for our associate and service members, but for our fair members. You know, a lot of them weren't even able to have their fair. So we felt like, well, this would be a good, you know, activity for them all to come together as a group, as a fair board or whoever they their committee or whoever they might be. And, and they enjoy coming to the convention. So we felt like it would be a great outreach effort. The second thing was is we felt like as an association that we needed to, to believe in this and we needed to show our members that, hey, better days are ahead. 
you know, if we pull the plug in June, that doesn't give a real good feeling to the folks in the fall of the year about their activity if their, you know, state association doesn't have enough confidence in even host their convention. So all that to say is we rocked along. We, we did everything business as usual, and we fully planned to have the convention up until about the 22nd of December. At that point, the COVID cases were spiking. We just didn't think it was a responsible thing to do for the two weeks later that we would gather up 300 people in a convention center in Galveston, Texas, and with folks coming from all over the country. So at that point, we had to, to cancel it. Um, you know, I don't have to tell you that comes with some um, economic uh, circumstances. Um, and, and we'll be faced with those. But at the same time, at some point, you just have to step up and say, you know, for the good of the cause and the good of the organization, the good of the people, we just don't need to have this. And, and I will tell you that the feedback was very positive. It says, we appreciate what you did. We hate you're not having it, but we certainly understand. Yep. And, um, and we look forward to being back in 2022. So, you know, that, that was a hard decision because it's a great event. A lot of people look forward to coming to every year. But in the end, we just had to do the responsible thing. Well, as difficult as it was, my gut feeling is it was the right decision. From an entertainer standpoint, I know most of our 2020 cancellations are rolling over to 21. And I think from a fairs standpoint, there's still a lot of uncertainty moving forward. In some cases, fairs that are recommitting to their entertainers are waiting, have said, you know, they're looking to wait 60 to 90 days before the event, before they'll sign, re actually commit to that contract again for 21. Right. Just because there is so much uncertainty. So I have to wonder, even if we, we all gathered, how cost effective, you know, would it have been for anyone, especially those of us in the trade show, go spend all the money on the booth and then, well, you know, most of our dates are getting renewed anyway. So, you know, with, and then if there's uncertainty, our fares even booking, it may not have even been cost effective. Yeah, and we did get a lot of that. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, normally we'll have 120 trade show booths, and we were down to roughly 38 to 40 of them. And a lot of those said, hey, well, this is kind of twofold. One, we don't have the money. We hadn't worked since we saw you last year. You know, we just don't have that cash outlay right now. And the second thing was as well, you know, either we've already been booked or we're not going to get booked because these other people have already, you know, signed on with whoever they had in 2020. So we just – don't really see the benefit coming this year um so yeah we did feel kind of uh, both of those and we're hoping that come 2022 that you know we'll have had some events and a lot of this will kind of have a clean slate and that we'll have everybody back and looking to book for future years and everything comes back to what we call as normal yeah uh, we'll get there i have no doubt we'll get there if you look at at history you know after the 1918 pandemic things went back to normal and and improved you know, if you look after sure. World War One, things went back to normal and improved. Same with World War Two. Same with Vietnam. Same with 9/11. This is just what, as humans, we do. We deal with a crisis. Um, lives get put on hold. You know, businesses get put on hold. Hopefully, we, you know, most of us have, hopefully, enough cash flow, or you know, find a way to work with the government, you know, paycheck programs or whatever it is to make sure that we can get through this. And then at some point, the government's going to have to say, all right, we got enough people vaccinated, the vaccine works, or, you know, the virus kind of died off or whatever it is that happens. And we move forward. Um, speaking of your convention, you all recently moved from San Antonio Hill Country, which honestly was the location I adored. It was just a beautiful facility. Right. Definitely small for our trade show. We were busting at the seams in that facility. 
And now right. you move down to Galveston, which is right on the Gulf. What's the plan for future conventions? Will they continue? Will they move every few years or they stay in put in Galveston? What's that look like? So we are in Galveston through 2024. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the challenge that we have is that we were too big for, say, the Hot Hill country. Uh, I think we had 97, 98 trade show booths there. And some of those were actually out in the hallway. Yep. Uh, we're now, I mean, we could have, you know, up to 200, 220 booths where we're at, which, you know, we're normally running around 120. So outside of Galveston, there's very few other facilities that fits. Now, either they're too small or they're much too big. Uh, so we're kind of in a, you know, a funny size there. Uh, with the uh, number of attendees and especially the trade show uh, that there's many venues that can actually house. So we're uh, confirmed there in 2024. Uh, some of that did come as through the negotiations of, uh, you know, trying to work some of the things out for this past year's convention that was canceled. Uh, and there may be that we have to extend that for another couple of years just to try to, you know, work hand in hand with them as a partner uh, for them, you know, hopefully helping us out on not being able or having to cancel our 2021 event. But past that, uh, you know, we would like to maybe get back to more of a central Texas area. Uh, we've looked at uh, the new Kalahari Resort, which is over in Round Rock. We've considered Waco. Of course, we always look at different venues around Dallas. Uh, but right now, you know, with us still being booked in through 2024, uh, we don't have any other plans on the books today where we will go after that. So right now we are in Galveston. We're going to be looking at the Gulf of Mexico for the next few years. That's correct. And I'm looking forward to actually looking at that Gulf of Mexico again. Cause I, <laughs> you know, I know I got a hold of you in December and we started, you know, just a few weeks before you ended up canceling and asking about what are, what do you feel like attendance is going to be like? Um, it, it hurt. It was rough for me to not go. And of course you guys ultimately ended up canceling, but we'd already Sarah and I just made the decision that this was not going to be the year just with all the, everything that had happened. You know, it's rough when as an entertainer, you get the first cancellation call and then another and another. And as you get late, you keep holding out hope for those September, October, November fairs. Maybe you'll pick off one or two or three of them. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then those all go away and then IFE cancels and then Texas. And it's just like, Oh God, it just kills for, for the industry. It hurts. You know, we, we, I know for me, I can't speak for everybody. I know for me, I just absolutely love going to these conventions. In fact, there are some years that I've driven away from a convention and I've been thinking, did I even get, a, did I even book anything or did I just visit with everybody and just have a family reunion for three days? Um, so I'm looking forward to when this thing's kind of cleared up and, and we can all come back together. Clearly these challenges have just cut our industry very deeply what do you think we can do as an industry and as individuals to help support each other right now? You know, that, that, and it's, it's kind of where we're at is one, we don't know when it's going to end. Right. Um, the, the second thing is, is that, you know, I think a lot of these fairs have really done a pretty good job, whether it be a, you know, drive through fair foods or, uh, you know, and everybody's kind of changed up and done their own, own ways of still trying to bring the fair to the community, even though it's not nearly what it would be. Uh, but at least, like you said earlier, at least they're having something. At least they're keeping the fair at the forefront. Um, well, I tell you, that that's a tough question is what do we do as, as entertainers, as carnival owners, as all the folks who make a fair happen? How do we collectively come together? And the unfortunate thing is I, I don't know uh, 
you know, that there's really much way that, that we can because we're so segmented, you know, I mean, how do you and a, you know, a carnival guy come together or what, what is it without having an actual venue? And that's the beauty of a fair is we're bringing a lot of different people from walks of life into one venue for a, you know, week, seven, uh, 10, 14 day period uh, for you to all to do what you do. And it's all diverse and it's something there for everybody. Uh, so I, I think that's a challenge. And I applaud you for putting together a podcast like this. I think it's a good sounding board for a lot of people to come and just say, hey, here's kind of what we're feeling, you know? I mean, we're over here in the in this dark corner, but here's what we're thinking and here's what you can do to help us. And I think it's been a, a great uh, venue for different groups and diversity to come together to at least kind of keep the fair industry at the forefront. Well, and I think it's, I've said before on the podcast, for, for me personally, um, it's a labor of love, but in a way it was somewhat selfish because it did. This was how I'm staying connected with everybody. Obviously nobody's booking a fortune machine right now. Nobody wants our giant agricultural themed games to come to this right. no events, but this was a, a, an avenue for me to kind of stay top of mind and stay connected to my, my friends and colleagues and, and still make some new connections. But at the same time, I think, we're starting to get some traction I've had in the last couple of days. It took 30 episodes, the first 30 episodes. And then it took me announcing, we're just going to go long-term with it last week. And now I'm starting to finally, instead of having to go to the guests, I'm finally starting to get emails to say, Hey, you know, um, I might, I might like to be on that, on that show of yours. And I'm happy to have uh, damn near anybody can come on this show. And I'm happy to share stories. We're all coming from a different place. I know some people, off the air have expressed far more frustration than they have on the air. But if that's a sounding board for them to get some of that poison out and kind of, you know, articulate their feelings to be in a place where, okay, maybe I feel a little better. I, I finally said that to somebody and somebody listened. I'm good with it. I'm here. So if anybody's listening to the show, you want to be a guest, you know, hit it up, robertsmithpresents.com. Send me an email. I will be happy to have you on the show. That said, given where we're at now in 21 with where the pandemic is, so many fairs canceled in 2020 or in Texas's case had to modify. <clears throat> What's the health of the fairs in, look like in Texas right now? Are, are, we, are they all going to survive this? Do you, because I think industry-wide, we're going to see some contraction of fairs. What's it look like in Texas? You know, Robert, I'll tell you, I think the, the health of the fairs in the state of Texas are good. And I think it goes back to what we said earlier. Maybe, you know, they canceled maybe a little earlier than ideal, but I think it's the same thing. They didn't sink a lot of money in to advertising and promotion and contracts and things that, that would have broken the fair. Right. Uh, so I think that, you know, and we applaud those fairs for that of taking a business approach. But um, I, I'm not aware of any members at all that are, are not going to come back. Uh, so I think that's a very positive thing is that we're going to continue to have these. It's unfortunate that they took a loss or they were not able to uh, increase their revenues in 20 and, and, you know, early 21, but, um, no, all in all, I, I fully expect our members will be back. Yeah. I, I, I have spoken to people from all across this industry and there is a, there is a general feeling that there will be some contraction. And I think like you alluded to, I think some of the fairs, and I don't want to speak for fairs like Miami or Vero Beach, but I think those are the kind of fairs that might be more vulnerable because they were literally, in Miami's case, I think um, they were like 15, I think John Sykes said 15 minutes from opening. 
opening day, concessionaires there, entertainers there, ad revenue uh, or ad budget spent, marketing budget spent, all of those dollars already spent. And then they get, boom, snap of a finger and they get told to shut it down. That's, that is devastating. You know, at least, at least if you're a fair that says, you know, we're in, you know, we're in July, we're OC fair when we're in July, but we're going to go ahead and pull the plug the last week of April. Well, that's a lot of, of marketing dollars and things like that, that you can reallocate to keep your salaries going to pay mortgage on your facility, rent on your facility, utilities, all that jazz. I worry about those fares that were, had spent everything and got zero. They had no chance to reallocate. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that most of the, um, the fares in Texas are in pretty good financial position. I, I think maybe from doing, their modified schedule may it got them something, you know, maybe it got them a little bit without having to do a lot of advertising. Cause if you think about it, if you're dealing with basically your 4-H and FFA kids, you're dealing with your livestock shows and whatnot, you shift from having to do a, a mass marketing campaign, you know, television, social media, all that, you now have a you have a controlled list of people who you need to get in contact with. You know, you have right. the, the email addresses, the 4-H kids, the FFA, all that you can go directly to them. It costs almost zero. So that's good. I'm glad to hear that, that that's going to be the case. And, you know, frankly, I mentioned John Sykes. I spoke with him recently and, you know, he said he's tired of talking about COVID. Not only, not only on the podcast was he tired of it, but just, I think overall tired of it. And I don't blame him. I think all of us are kind of get, we've gotten COVID fatigue. We're tired of hearing about it. As John says, he wants happy talk. And I think I agree with him. So let's shift gears here in this discussion. To quote Clint Swindoll, Chris, tell me something good. What are the positives that happened for you in 2020? You know, <laughs> despite, you know, all the, the negativity about this is, is that, you know, overall it's been an actual a pretty good year. We had to make some, you know, some tough decisions. And, and you know, unfortunately within this industry, you know, we weren't able to have our convention and, uh, you know, uh, we had modified fairs and I don't want to say that we shut down many fairs because in, in actuality, we didn't shut down many total events. We had modified events, but I think the positives, and I think probably anybody would tell you this is by going to these modified events, maybe going forward, we change some things. Maybe we reallocate what the importance of these things are. You know, I mean, obviously, uh, a lot of them were founded on, you know, agricultural activities and competitions and junior shows and things of that sort. Uh, but maybe sometimes we kind of divert some of those things into more of, you know, whatever it is that, that we feel like draws people in. And I've even had some of our uh, more on the county fair level say, you know what, we made just as much money this year with our junior livestock auction as we did a year ago. When we had a full fair. Well, all they're saying is, it, we're spending a lot of money on a lot of things to draw people in that just don't give us a whole lot of return. Right. So, um, you know, I think if anything positive came out of this, I think it's for these different events to look and say, what's important? How do we re-emphasize uh, what the importance of our mission is to our community? And we just don't need to do the same thing that we did for the last five years. And maybe we need to restructure this thing and, and really focus on what's important as a mission, but more importantly, economically, because ultimately, you know, without these events making money, they're not going to survive. So uh, I think if there was any takeaway mis- uh, message today, it would be that 
focus on on what's important. And I think this has given us an opportunity to do that. I tend to agree. I, I, I do. I would just add that entertainers are very important. Please don't go getting any ideas to people are. that are listening to this. <laughs> I mean, if you want to go to a livestock only show, you can, but we all need a place to, to exist within the industry. But I think you make a good point. And, and I've spoken with other guests about it. I, I think one of those silver linings is maybe for so many of those fair boards out there that make decisions based on, well, we've always done it that way. Maybe this was the, you know, the thing that kind of broke loose the dam that says, nope, we can do things different and, and make things happen. So if people get more creative and man, I've seen some creativity through this industry this year of trying to figure out how they're going to make revenue for their concessionaires or get those kids involved with the livestock that those kids broke my every, every time I saw cancellations, the one consistent theme on Facebook on the messages over and over again was first question. What about the livestock kids? What about 4-H? What about FFA? Nobody was like, but what about my caramel apple? What about the magician? What about, you know, Robert as the fortune machine? Nobody cared about that respectfully. And I get it. They all wanted to know what are we doing for the kids? And I think that reinforces a message of what we're really about in this industry is educating, you know, people about agriculture and educating our future our future citizens are, you know, our young people about what agriculture is in this country. Agree. No, I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it meant a lot to me in 2020 was, um, was starting this podcast back up. It meant so much to me. Originally we were going to actually, we'd talked about starting it uh, back up in the beginning of the year. Cause originally it was more of a marketing based podcast. We'd talk social media marketing, social media techniques. And we thought, you know, 2020, let's get it going again. Then all hell breaks loose. And I'm kind of got this feeling that, you know, March, April, May was not going to be the best time to ask fairs how they were doing with their marketing. <laughs> so we, uh, we put that off and I'm, but I'm glad it, it has kind of manifested into what it is. I I'm, I'm getting good feedback on it. People seem to be enjoying it, hearing the voice, familiar voices and knowing that, Hey, you know what, that we went through that too, you know, and they're not alone. So I just, man, Chris, I love this industry. I love walking out onto the midway at a fair. I like seeing the Ferris wheel lit up. I like seeing two people, you know, on their first date, you know, they're 16, 17 years old and they're on their first date or, you know, they're, they're 40 something 50 something and they've got their kids or grandkids with them i love seeing that what's your favorite memory of a fair you know it's funny you say that and obviously you know as a kid growing up you know we you know our focus was the livestock show you know we'd go to the state fair or wherever it was and and that's what we did but you know and i think it is kind of hand in hand what you said I think it's just that thrill of walking in. It doesn't matter if you're in the parking lot or if you're on the actual midway. You hear these rides and the generators going and the kids screaming on the rides and, you know, the smell of the fair food. And, and it's just kind of all, I think, you know, encompassing of, it, I guess the way to sum it up would be the atmosphere. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think there's any one thing. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody likes the fair food and then everybody likes to go do the rides and then walk through the, the livestock show or whatever there might be. But I think it's just the, the excitement. And I, and I think that's all, 
encapsulates everything that, that we know in terms of the fair industry of when you're walking in that gate, just the excitement that you feel about, man, it's going to be a good night. I can't wait to go eat at my favorite concessionaire. I can't wait to ride this ride. I can't to wait to do whatever it is to do at the, at the event. And then it's kind of like John Sykes said, it's a happy place. You know, yep. it, it's a happy thing. There's nothing negative that goes along with a fair and an event. You know, yeah. everything's positive. Yeah. We make fun for a living. Like that's literally, I, I hear some entertainers on, you know, cause I'm, I'm on several of the message boards or, or uh, the, I guess the group, the group discussion boards on Facebook with enter, fair entertainers. And there's definitely been some building frustration and I understand it. I'm very empathetic to it. People are starting to get nervous. We're starting to see some cancellations for 21. It's like, Oh God, will this just end? But this, at the same time, I just encourage people, y'all take a step back. We make fun for a living, right? We don't have, I, I would hate to be a, a nurse in an ICU right now with COVID patients, knowing that you're looking at these people, they're not going to make it. You know, I would hate that burden of responsibility. We make people laugh and smile for a living. We, we give people memories and we just need to take a deep breath because we will get our shot again. As I've said before on the show, We've been told we've spent the better part of a year now, almost a full year being told we're non-essential. And as soon as things reopen, I think people are going to realize just how essential we are. Maybe not in the middle of a crisis, but we are essential. We make people happy. Um, you know, I've spoken with several guests on the show in the industry that, and we all agree, this is not an industry designed to make people millionaires. It's designed for people who are passionate about farming and ranching education and making people happy. What is it about our fairs that you're most passionate about? Well, again, you know, from, from, from the background that I come, it's obviously the 4-H and FFA kids. And I think that's, you know, any, any mission statement you look at at any of these events, that's what the root of it's going to be. And that's why it was started. Now, you know, having been involved in TAF&E, I've learned a lot. Uh, and, and what I, I think you have to understand is it the entertainers, is it the carnival owners, and all the people who are out on the midway and, and within the, the confines of the facility, they many times give back to a lot of these 4-H and FFA kids, and they're the ones that are hiring the people from the local communities, and they're really the ones that, although maybe are many times overlooked, they play as big of a role in the success of these events as anybody. So, you know, from a personal standpoint, I have a lot to appreciate about the kids and what they're doing with their projects. From a professional standpoint, though, and understanding the, the, the wheels in motion, the people who make this thing happen, I greatly appreciate, probably more so now than ever before, the people who are within that fence that are putting this event on. Because, too, you have to understand the risk that you take the risk at all these other, other folks. And yeah, I mean, you're under contract, but if the people don't show up, Without, you know, I mean, the ride operators and use an entertainer and, and other people who are selling tickets, you take a pretty big risk to drive from New Mexico to Florida. Yep. We sure do. We take risks all the time. And um, I, I'm just so grateful this year for the people that, that I've worked with. Um, I have found in the conversations that I've had with fair managers who've had to not only cancel their events, you know, make those decisions with the board, but they've had to, the, the gut-wrenching task of having to furlough or lay off their friends and family that they're working with, you know, and I, it's very difficult what they have faced. 
but I am so grateful that we have an industry that is empathetic, that is caring and supportive. And I am looking forward to the day that we get to all come back together. 2020 was certainly a time of discovery, I think, for a lot of people. If you could go back in time and give your 18-year-old self-advice, what would it be? I don't know, Robert. I'll tell you, I've been awfully lucky. Uh, you know, things just kind of fall in place. And, you know, and now I'm sitting here 44 years old and, you know, and looking back and obviously there, there's some some changes you can make along the way. But I'll tell you, I'm pretty comfortable in where I am today. And I, and I appreciate the people who have helped me get me here. And I think that you could probably attest to that as well is there's there's opportunities, there's people and there's things Many times doors that close and other ones that open. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think luck would probably have to be the biggest word that I could use that, that helped get me where I am today uh, and surrounding myself with good people who are, are motivated to help the next generation move into to, you know, prominent positions. So with that answer, I fear asking this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I'm curious. If you weren't working within our industry, what do you think you'd be doing? Well, actually, I'm kind of a dual role deal. Um, you know, I oversee the the management TAF and E on a, I don't want to say a part time basis, but that's kind of the way that the is structured. You know, we stay real busy from November to, you know, January, and then you know, facilitating the board meetings and things of that sort. So outside of that, I actually uh, uh, do several beef cattle marketing. Uh, events in terms of sales, production sales, and consignment sales for different cattlemen, and then also do a fair amount of beef cattle consulting as well across the country. So uh, I'm already kind of doing something else outside of uh, TAFNE, uh, but it's a pretty good fit, and uh, and and it, it actually crosses lines at, at different times in terms of helping some of these different uh, member events with some of their actual cattle marketing events that they have in their different affairs. So, um, yeah, outside of that, you know, if I wasn't doing TAFE, I guess I'd devote more time to, to marketing cattle and helping people raise and produce Brahmin and, and beef cattle. But uh, so, yeah, the answer to your question is I've already kind of got something moving <laughs> in a different direction as well. Excellent. Well, Chris, we're just about out of time on the show. I'm glad you could be on today. Before we go, all of my guests, I asked them a little series of speed round questions. So I'm going to ask you a handful of questions. Give me your best answer for each. You ready? Yes, sir. What's your favorite comfort food? Ooh, I would have to go with that and say barbecue. All right. Favorite music artist? Uh, George Strait. Boots or sneakers? Uh, I'd have to say boots. Yeah, you're all Texas. I know uh, what the answer is for you Texans. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite cut of steak? New York Strip. How do you, what temperature do you take it? Medium rare. Medium rare. All right. So let's say you're given an all expenses paid trip anywhere in the world. Where are you going? Mm, I would probably go to Australia. I've been there a couple of times, but I think it's worth going back. Well, I'm looking forward to my shot getting renewed at some point know, uh, Sydney, when Sydney yeah. Royal Easter happens. I know. Again. So did you get to go? No, they canceled on March 13th. Uh, last question. What's one interesting thing about you that most people don't know? Ooh, now that's a tough one. And then the thing is, you don't know what people know or don't know, uh, you know, and, and you probably caught on to this is, you know, most people know me from the fair sector, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of people that know me from the beef cattle sector too. So it would probably be that I'm living in two different worlds and nobody knows that I do the other. <laughs> 
Chris, I'm really glad you could be on the show today. If folks want to reach out uh, and get in touch with you to talk about Texas fairs, where can they find you? Okay, so we have a uh, texasfairs.com would be our website, and texasfairsandevents.gmail.com would be a direct email to me there at the Texas Fairs and Events. So I so, uh, would welcome you to come uh, look at our webpage or send me an email, or we're also on Facebook as well. So that's texasfairs.com or texasfairsandevents at gmail.com. Gmail. That's right. Awesome. Chris Shivers, Executive Director for the Texas Association of Fairs and Events. Pleasure to have you on today, buddy. It's good talking to you. Thanks for your time. Good seeing you. Appreciate the opportunity. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.